Dear Father, thank you for bringing us here. Thank you that we're a church family and that we get to meet up midweek. Thank you for our little groups and the relationships we have and, um, and are growing. Thank you that we get to eat together. Something so precious about that, that we can enjoy food, um, to talk, catch up. Um, and I pray you would help us to really begin to care about each other's lives and what's going on. And help us tonight to keep growing in our thinking about work um, and, our, and our lives. Lord, we want our whole lives to be lived for you and for your glory. Thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ. And I pray that particularly this evening you'd help us make that link between Jesus and the gospel and grace and work. And that I would even make a difference tomorrow when we, when we go into work or into whatever we do. Um, but Lord, we need you to be our guide. We all have, I think, a lot of questions and a lot we don't understand. Uh, you understand everything. And your word is clear. It is a lamp to our feet. So I pray that it would be a lamp to us tonight. Amen. Uh, right, let's do a little recap where we're going. So um, we're thinking about work. We're, using the, we're saying the biblical image of work is cultivation. Um, that we do things in God's world. We take what is in God's world and we use it for good. Um, he is the chief cultivator, the one who works to bring life and flourishing and goodness to the world. And he has given us the task as his um, kind of little kings on his earth to go out and to cultivate and to work for each other's good and for his glory. Um, so that's what we saw in the first week. We were created to cultivate. Second week, last week, we thought about how it's not that simple and it's all gone wrong. That we, our work is cursed to frustrate. And because of Adam and Eve's sin in turning against God... And wanting to do work, see the arrows are in on, on themselves, it, forgetting the chief cultivator and how he wants to do it. And they want to be the chief culti- cultivators to decide good and evil and became about them. Therefore, their work was frustrated. Um, work is cursed, but it is not a curse. So it's cursed. It's not what it, it should be or could have been. It's hard, and we all experience that in different ways. So we mustn't let it become this kind of little god and thing that's going to save us and make our lives. It is cursed, so lower your expectations, some of us. But it's not a curse. It's not a fundamentally bad thing. It is good, and we can still, in God's world, do good work and have fruit from it. It's just going to suck as we do it. Today, we think about this. Redeemed to reorientate. Redeemed to reorientate. Um, now, um, is it, I've been really encouraged by all the different questions that are being asked as we're doing these studies, um, all sorts of different questions going around. Um, I think one of the questions we often ask when it comes to Christians and work, we tend to ask this question, um, is there a kind of list of good work for Christians to do and bad work? So like Christian jobs that, that are really good stuff and and kind of not necessarily immoral jobs, but just less Christian jobs. Is there a list of those two things? Or the other thing we might wonder is, um, how, how does it look different to do a job as a Christian? So take a, a plumber. Does how a Christian plumber plums? Is that the verb to plum? Um, no. Okay. Thanks, <laughs> Sam. Uh, does a Christian plumber do plumbing? in a different way to a non-Christian plumber? Uh, does that look radically different in what they do? What difference, what does it really mean? You know, as a teacher, maybe, to, does a, if you've got a lesson plan from a Christian or a non-Christian teacher, 
would you be like, oh, that's the Christian's one? What's the difference? I think we do expect maybe there's this list of jobs or ways of doing things that will make your work Christian. Is that what we should be looking for? Or is there something deeper, more fundamental beneath the surface that is going on when a Christian works? That's what we're going to be thinking about. Now, I want to say there are clearly ways in which um, being a Christian will make visible differences to the way we do things. And, and that's going to come through a, a little bit later in your study, um, particularly also next week. So it does make a difference. I, I think there will be some difference between a Christian plumber and a non-Christian plumber in terms of uh, wanting to obey Jesus. And there will be some differences. But what I want to think about tonight is that actions, the actual stuff we do, in some ways is the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Christian work. So before we get to the tip of the iceberg, which is actions, I want to go below the surface of the water to the rest of the iceberg of what Christian work is, what's going on underneath the surface. We need to go where the Bible always seems to go, which is to think about the heart. This is our first point. The heart is the heart of work. The heart is the heart of work. You may have heard this saying that uh, the heart of the matter is the, is the matter of the heart. To the Bible, to God, the heart, what's going on inside, really matters. Really matters. I've had a few conversations with people about work which go something like this. Look, I know Christians are supposed to have a different attitude but is that is that it? You know, is, is there not something else that's different? Do we just have a different attitude? I think that question reveals a lot. Is that it? Just just a different attitude? I think it reveals that actually we place such a high premium on our actions, and we don't think very highly of the heart and the attitude stuff. Just just a different attitude. Is that the thing? But the Bible constantly pushes beneath, underneath to our hearts. We're not just robots who perform actions. We are, at a most fundamental level as humans, worshippers. That is, we're humans with hearts that love and value and obey someone or something. That's that's what worshipping is, loving, valuing, obeying something or somebody. And that's what we're like. Everything we do comes from somewhere within and is directed, or the word we're using tonight, oriented towards someone or something. Our hearts are oriented somewhere. So the Bible's full of this push beneath the surface, go to the heart language. Uh, This is 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Audience participation, let's go. You do not delight in sacrifice or I'd bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite. You, God, will not despise. Psalm 51. Mark 7, Jesus talking, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's that evil thoughts come, etc., 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 the actions. So I think if we said to God, I know what pleases you is having my heart, but is that it? He would say, is that it? Is that it? Your heart, oh, your heart matters to me so much. Your heart is the root of everything. It's your heart which values me or something else. It's your heart which drives you to do things for me or for someone else. It's your heart which prizes treasures and loves and is satisfied in me or in something else. I think that's what God would say to us. So the heart is ground zero for human life. 
who are we doing it for? Who, who are we directed to? And so the heart is ground zero for work. So God makes clear in what I just read from Psalm 51 that action isn't his first concern. We can make good sacrifices. That's not his delight. His delight is whether your heart is oriented to God and his glory or for something else. A good job with a bad heart doesn't give God delight. A good job, sacrifices, very nice, but with a heart that is going somewhere else doesn't bring him the same delight. So I want you to imagine that you walk through life with this massive arrow kind of sticking out your heart, right? This big arrow. And that is the direction, the direction of your heart. Everything you do has a direction to an orientation. This is what you do things for or who you do things for. So the question is, where is the arrow of our hearts pointing? Is it to God? That's why I have in our little picture for today. To God. Is the arrow pointing to me? Is it pointing to other people? Where's, where, where's your heart directed in what you do? So let's think about um, an example. Think about teaching a lesson in school. We talked about the lesson plan thing. So the same lesson could be taught in pretty much the same way, could have the arrow of the heart pointing in a very different place. So a Christian or someone who's not a Christian, very similar lesson, but the, the heart arrow, the orientation could be pointing in a very different place. So the arrow could be well and truly focused on me. Being a great teacher could fundamentally be about my own sense of purpose and significance. Now, there are lots of reasons we do things. They, they could be a genuine concern for the kids uh, and all sorts of things like that. But similar to what we're talking about on Sunday, what's the big thing? What's in the driving seat? The big arrow is, well, doing this job makes me significant and a valuable person, perhaps. And that's what my heart Longs for that's that's where it's pointed in at me. I, I'm doing this job for me. It could be that the arrow of our hearts is pointed at other people. What my heart supremely craves is human approval and kind of validation for who I am, almost a kind of salvation. You know, if I can be a good teacher and do some good for society, then that will that will make up for my failings. Uh, the, the approval of others of being a good teacher and contributing to society will. Get validation for who I am and how I spend my life and being here on this planet. So the, the arrow there is kind of still pointed at me and, and pointed at others. I'm doing this for you to get your approval. Or the arrow could be at God. Same, same lesson could look very similar. Yes, I do this because it brings me satisfaction. Yes, I do this because it's for others and good for others. But the big thing, the big thing that my heart is directed towards is God. I teach this lesson for you because it pleases you, because doing this lesson well and in a way that obeys you with a heart of humility, it glorifies you, God. This is ultimately about you. So in some ways, the lesson might end up looking different. Like I said, being a Christian does make a difference to our ethics and how we go about doing things and all sorts of things like that. But where have we learned that God really looks into he looks at where the arrow is pointing the orientation of the heart okay let's have a look at this from the bible in the bible it kind of presents us with two fundamental orientations for work orientation one is to work for me the second one is to work for god 
working for me, the arrow in on me, or working for God. Let's think about the first option, working for me. Turn to Genesis chapter 11. Page 12. Genesis 11, page 12. Oh, it's about orientation wrong in the second one. I apologize. Anyway, to Genesis 11. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, away from Eden, east, they found a plain in China and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. And just stop there. What are they doing? They're cultivating. Yeah? Do you see the cultivation language? They're working and they're cultivating. They're moving, they're spreading out, they find this plain, they settle, um, they, they cut, they say, let's gather together, use our resources, make bricks, bake them. Instead of using stone, they're actually inventive and have this kind of mortar thing which makes these good bricks. And they say, come, let's build ourselves a city. Hey guys, good cultivation with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Okay. But then we see the motivation. So that we may make a name for ourselves. There it is. There's the heart. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel. Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So do you see that cultivation, let's build a city, let's do all this building. And Building isn't bad in of itself. But do you see what causes God to come down and to scatter them? Why are they doing it? so that we may make a name for ourselves. And actually, they are disobeying God, because he said, go scatter over the earth, and they're saying, hey, let's keep together. (laughs) Let's not scatter. So the arrow, the orientation, is self-worship through their work, and God has to put an end to this opposition to him. And Babel, the heart of Babel work, is naturally what we're like in our work. This is the human heart on display. This is what we're like. The arrow faces in on us. What does that look like in 21st century Britain? One of the big things in our culture is how work has become very much focused on individual person's fulfillment. That's one of our main things, kind of job fulfillment and life fulfillment in our jobs. So it's less, come, let's make a name for ourselves, and more, I'll make a name for myself. We have a very individual focus on you and your pathway through life. So maybe in some ages past, work was given too little significance. I think in our culture, we go the other way. The philosopher Luke Ferry puts it like this. In the traditional kind of older worldview, work was considered a defect, a servile activity, literally reserved for slaves. But in the modern worldview, it becomes an arena for self-realization. 
Work is a, a means not only of educating oneself but also of fulfilment. Work becomes the defining activity of man. His aim is to create himself, kind of that self-realization, by remaking the world. Tim Keller reflects on it. So the modern idol of individualism has tended to raise work from being a good thing to being nearly a form of salvation. So it's like we have our own little Babel project in our lives, in our work. It may be that we're doing something good, that we're even benefiting others through our job in a really clear way. Maybe a doctor and you think, you know, I'm doing this for good reasons to help people. But deep down, the heart orientation in these roles is self-realization. The iceberg beneath the actions is this work makes me who I am. Don't know if you see any of that in yourself or in people around you. Doing this makes me who I am. It's so fundamental to my identity. God looks at the heart. And in the sinful heart, he found cultivation for me being done. Okay, let's think about the second one. Orientation two, work for God, working for God. Okay, so how should things be different for Christians? What is Christian work? Let's go to Ephesians. You're going to be looking um, at Ephesians in your Bible studies. And we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2. Okay, so the book of Ephesians, um, you can split into two halves. Chapters 1 to 3 focuses on God's grace it for us. What Christ has done for us to make us his. Jews, Gentiles, anybody can come to have a relationship with God through trusting in Jesus Christ and his death for us. One to three kind of focuses on that. And then four to six goes, since that is true, since God has saved you, this is how you live. He saved you not because of stuff you do, but he saves you to do stuff, to, to work now, to live for him. And and you're going to be in that part for um, for your study. So one to three is grace. This is what God has done. And four to six goes, therefore, this is how you live. We're going to be in that first bit. Uh, chapter two, thinking about God's grace for us in Christ. Have a look from verse four of chapter two. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. This is describing becoming a Christian. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is, this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by work, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So let's think about this. How does the gospel, what Jesus has done, make Christian work radically different? Christ 
has redeemed us to reorient our hearts, redirect our hearts and our work to be for God. And we see this in these verses happen in two ways. First, we have a new motivation for work. And secondly, a new orientation. First, have a look at the new motivation. Work is not done to save ourselves. That was the orientation we saw in Babel, making themselves great. Have a look at verse 8 again. Look at it really carefully. Work is not done to save ourselves. It is by grace you've been saved. That is God doing stuff for you. And this is, I can be clear, not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Ah, let me be even clearer. Not by works so that no one can boast. Work isn't about self-realization. It's not a self-salvation project to validate who we are. No, we're validated by God apart from what we do. Not by works. Paul, it's so clear. Our salvation, our life is a gift of grace. It's a present. So for some of us, this may sound obvious, but this is so fundamental. Your works, and therefore your work, does not save you. That's not why you do it. Imagine, this is a hard thing to imagine, but imagine you were seriously, seriously injured um, this week to the point where you're incapacitated from being able to work ever again. For many of us, it's not just work that would be snatched from us in that situation, but our identity. We wouldn't be able to do anything. But not for the Christian. If I could never do a single day's work again, it would be hard beyond my imagination. But my self-realization, my being who I am meant to be, wouldn't be touched. Because what Jesus has done is what makes me whole, what makes me a fully realized person. It's by grace I've been saved, not by works. If I didn't do a single work again in my life, I'd be whole, I'd be full. It's grace. And this is so key because see what it does to your work? It just takes a load off it that it's not supposed to bear. Work is not supposed to save you. Jesus' work saves you. His work on the cross. So our hearts and our motivation can be released from this immense pressure of doing work to define yourself. Your worth is in Jesus' work. Secondly, though, we have a new this new orientation. Our work is now for God and not for us. Have a look at it, uh, verse 9. It is not by works, it's grace, so that no one can boast. So that no one can boast. Our arrow is turned back to Christ, to the chief cultivator, and we are, it says in verse 10, God's handiwork. Just go back to the boasting thing for a moment. This means that there's no Babel boasting. Babel was about boasting. You know, that we're going to build this and we're going to make our name for ourselves. Look how great we are. But if you think about it, because your salvation is by grace, there's just no room for boasting. The most important thing that's happened to you, you did nothing. You didn't contribute to at all. So you don't get to boast if you didn't do anything. So it takes away that Babel boasting. It's about me. And then verse 10, let's look at that. For we are God's handiwork, 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So here we get our works. But look really carefully. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what is Christian work? It is work which is God's prepared for us to do. It's not something, first and foremost, that we have achieved. Think about a recent achievement that you've had in your work. Um, maybe maybe a big thing that you're really proud of, maybe just a little thing that you think, oh, I've done that today. What difference does being a Christian make to that achievement? Well, this verse teaches us that achievement is not a trophy of your sheer brilliance. It's a trophy of a good work God prepared for you to do. He, he was there before you were. Brilliant idea, Johnny. Well, oh, I thought of that. Great idea. God prepared that way back for you to do. So, so your ability to do good is because you're created in Christ to do good works. And those good works he thought about and has given you the opportunity to do. Your skills, your opportunities, your ability to do any good stuff are a result of God's cultivation in you. First, you see that? He, he prepares all your good work. And so the arrow, the orientation of the Christian is, yes, I'm going to do this work well, I'm going to do it for God. This work itself, this day is a gift from him. This day ahead of me, this this list of tasks, these meetings in my calendar, oh, God's prepared them in advance for me to do. They're from him. So all glory to him. He prepared and he gives me the power to do them. Now that is a radically different heart to where our sinful hearts want to go. It's really different. And so I don't want us to have this thing of, oh, well, it's it's a little kind of different attitude. It's a radically different attitude to say, this doesn't save me, this isn't my self-actualization or realization, and it's all for God and from God anyway. That's huge. That's why Jesus died for us. He died to forgive us for our Babel boasting, our let me do this to make, make myself great. He died to forgive us for that. So if you feel convicted of actually, in my work, I do so much of it for my own glory. That's why Jesus died for you, to forgive you for that and to reorientate your heart. By the power of the Spirit, we now get to say, this day, this work, whatever it brings, God's prepared it for me. It's from him and it's for him. And that is radically different. And God looks at that heart and he's delighted. So in our studies now, we're going to be thinking about a little bit more about the difference, the difference of motivation and how actually that leads to a really different life and action as well. Let's pray before we get into that. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that while we were dead, you raised us with him. You made us alive with Christ. Lord, we want to... We want to say sorry for the fact that we so often want to contribute to our salvation. We want to try and impress you, to impress others, to give ourselves a sense of purpose and meaning from within. But Lord, without you we're dead. We've done so much wrong. Thank you for the power of your grace, the gift of grace, that you have done everything, every work necessary to save us. Help us to relax. 
to trust you by faith, to have done everything, to look at the life of Jesus and all his work for us. Thank you for his cross. Thank you for his resurrection. And thank you for this new life, this new heart that you give us. I pray that even this evening as we study Ephesians, you would cultivate this heart in us, that really we would know more of the the sheer joy of, of working for your glory, of doing works that you've prepared for us to do. Thank you that not one of us has a role or um, in life or a job um, that is uninteresting to you, that you don't care about. But you want whatever we do to be directed for you. And thank you that that, that brings you delight. Thank you for that dignity you give our work in Christ, that we can delight you with hearts that are contrite and humble and live for you. So please help us now. Please speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen.